Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of Tapis Rouge. I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, still recording from my dressing room. And today's shout-out goes to Alan Parry, the wonderful stage manager of Curios, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Francis Jalbert. I'm just going to give another shout-out to the whole cast of Curios, who is now performing at the Royal Albert Hall in London. I hope that the shows are going well and that you guys are enjoying this very special venue. Now, back to today's guests. Francis was doing public relationship on Totem when I first started. I did countless interviews and promo events with him over the years, and I always loved the way he worked with artists. Since then, he worked on many different touring shows, and I thought it would be cool to just listen to him talk about his work that very much influences the way the audience perceives Cirque du Soleil outside of the big top. So here he is, my favorite PR ninja, Francis Jalbert. Francis, the publicist, welcome to the Rouge. publicist. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing great. What about you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Where are you right now? Right now, I'm sitting in my trailer just next to the Big Top. Nice. It's a, a three-show day today for Aliguia. So there's a oh show going God. on. Yeah, it's 1 p.m. right now. So there's a show going on. And then we have two more later in the day. But Which means that for me, it's a calmer day because we're not doing much PR when the artists are busy on stage. So, yeah. So you work as the PR director for Aliguia. So can you explain us what are you doing, actually? What's your job? Yeah, thank you. You just gave me a promotion. <laughs> Actually, I'm the I'm the senior tour publicist for Alegria by Sugsay. Um, what it entails is that I manage the PR strategy to support the ticket sales in every market where the show goes. Um, you know, so to add for people that are maybe less familiar with marketing and PR, um, there's someone that takes care of all the market, the marketing and advertising by, and me, I bring the buzz or the meat around the bone, the bone, if you want. Okay. So working with media influencers, um, working with social media, um, to, you know, to get people talking about the show and make sure that we have coverage from the moment we go on sale until the last performance so that people know the good news that circus in town. So that I would say is kind of like the basic of what I do, but, Add to that, I'm a bit kind of a brand image manager for the brand Alegria. So everything you see that's photos, videos, social media content, etc., all came either creatively from me or I worked on it or coordinated it as well. Um, so it's a, it's quite of a, a, a large profile, more than just publicist, mm -hmm. and it's quite unique in the industry as well. I get to touch every aspect of promotional, but even crisis management if there is as well. So it's... Um, it's a quite 360 role, which is what why I like it. Nice. And so Alegria is your third shows. You were also before that on Lusia and before that on Totem. And when did you start it actually on Totem? Well, I first started with Service in January 2010, and I was an intern and I was supposed to be with the company for 10 weeks. And <laughs> um, this year it's gonna be 12, it's been 12 years. <laughs> um, so I worked uh corporate PR, so really like kind of company news and you know, promotion of the brand in general for the first two years. And then I was on tour with Totem. So I started Totem in 2012. That's where I worked with you. Yes. <laughs> so I was on Totem for almost five years. And then I joined Elusia when it first opened in 2016 and then switched to Alegria when we relaunched the show in its version called In a New Light in 2019. Okay. And how did it feel to the first time you started working with Cirque? Well, my story is a bit 
funny in a way. Um, I actually won a TV show on TV and that's how that got me my, my job with Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> really? <actually. laughs> yeah. So, um, in Canada, we have a show that's a bit like who wants to be a millionaire, but it's, uh, it, it's kind of like, it's a contestant every week on a, sp- on a certain topic. And it's a bit, a, a geeky show. It's called tous pour un, all for one in English, okay. um, where you answer questions for an hour about a certain topic and you can win $10,000. We're not as rich as Americans. So it's just $10,000 <laughs> on TV. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there was a show I always knew cause you know, coming, being from Montreal, growing up in, in Quebec, there's not many companies that have head offices based in Montreal. So I knew studying PR that I wanted to work for Cirque du Soleil because it's an international brand because the product is so amazing. You know, basically we're promoting people pushing forward the limits of the human body. Like there's nothing more amazing than that. Yeah, for sure. You know, if I go work, if I go work for IKEA, I'll be promoting chairs. It's a different reality. (laughs) Um, so I basically applied to that TV show, which was, um, about the 25th anniversary at the time of Cirque du Soleil. So I had to study like crazy to know everything about the company. And I went on TV, answered questions for an hour about Cirque du Soleil, won $10,000, got an interview for a job and I got my internship and here we go. Yeah, that's man. how that's the way to start. I man. started. That's the way to start. You start, you get a job and $10,000. That's pretty, it's pretty neat. No, that's it. And it was great because I mean, honestly, if I would have not done the show, I would have never started at 20 years old at Cirque du Soleil. Like it, like never, they would have, you know, give me that chance. So, and it's only because I didn't want to do the show. It's a friend of my parents that was like, come on, you should go. It's a good step. And you like the company. So I was like, okay, I'll try. And then, uh, never I would have, would have, I thought that 12 years later, I'm still here. Yeah. And yeah, it's really changed the course of my life basically. It, but you're really young. You're 20 years old. You said you were when you started. Yeah. 20 years old. So I was lucky because they hired me while I was still doing my bachelor degree in marketing and communications. So I was working part-time and finishing my degree part-time and I left on tour, I think not even six months after I graduated. Ah, so, so everything was really, really fast for me. Like the beginning of my career was really fast and I've been in the same job for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> but the beginning of my career was really like, everything was quite, quite fast. I couldn't believe it myself, honestly. So it must've been nice to finish your studies while knowing you already had a job. Must have, you must have been a pretty... For sure. And everything made more sense, you know, because when you learn something in school and then you apply it really, you know, in, in the market, it just makes more sense. You know, I was looking at my colleagues that, but first of all, was stressing out, will I have a job after, but also things were a bit more theoretical for them. But for me, I could really see what were the tie-ins from what we were studying to, um, the reality on the ground and, and with a big brand as well. So that was amazing. Yeah. It's a bit like Sarah and I, my trapeze partner and I, we signed, our contract for Cirque du Soleil one year before starting at the beginning of our last year of Cirque School. So same, we signed in September, but we were only start working in August. So we had a whole year at school, same thing, knowing we already had a contract. And it also made more sense because we knew we had to train for a specific job doing the 10 show weeks, like bringing our level, acrobatic level higher and everything. So I, I know, I know how, how you must have feel for you. It's pretty, pretty nice. And also when you have a goal, you know, it, it makes you more passionate and more, you know, interested in, in what you're doing, you know? So I think for me also, I kind of knew like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I want, I always wanted to be the publicist on tour. I knew like, that's what I wanted to reach. So it's fun to have a goal. It motivates you in your study and in what you do. And how did it feel when you first started? Was Cirque du Soleil exactly like you imagined it would be? Or how different was it actually? <laughs> 
I think I didn't know exactly what I was stepping in because it's such a unique organization because it has kind of a corporate side of things, especially when you work at the head office in Montreal, because it is a big company and we're doing like operations worldwide. There's a lot of money involved involved as well. So it has like, first of all, like what it's at the time, it was close to 2000 people working in Montreal um, in different departments. So you, you get to really work with people from different backgrounds and interact with it, especially in a PR capacity, because whatever you're promoting, especially when I was at the head office, sometimes we would promote a special event or let's say Cirque was designing a pavilion for a world exhibit. Well, my project was to promote this, but then work with like the technical team that's working on a pavilion, et cetera. It, it allowed me to, to understand other fields that I've never encountered before. Um, also working with people that come from all around the world. It's, it's something that's completely different and it changes your, your, your vision of things. Like I knew it was going to be a great experience. Did I know that it would change my life as much? Like, honestly, I think the person that came in, in, in 2010 and the person you're talking with today is completely different like this. And I'm probably as well because of the age that I joined the company, but it has shaped who I've become as an adult, because you're constantly, it's, it's a company that in the culture, in the essence of the company, we're constantly kind of, we're never settled. We're always changing, you know, it's the same with your touring. So you're never in the same city, et cetera, but even the company, because it's different shows and because the product is human and we always, and because it's creativity, you may be going into one direction one day and the next day we shift around because something didn't work or we want to try a different Avenue. And I think in every aspect of the business, there's this instability, which at the same time is super challenging, but it can really feed you and, and want to give the best out of yourself. And I think also something I didn't expect is that everybody's so passionate when you work at Cirque. All my friends that I've worked with a company and go work somewhere else, it's really hard to adjust at first because, because the product is humans, because we know we're bringing joy to people that everybody at all level give themselves for the product, which you don't see that level of involvement in all other companies that are not necessarily in the entertainment industry. Um, so it's, uh, so you have to give a lot of yourself, but it's also because you want to give of yourself. And I think mm-hmm. everybody feels that. So it's a culture that, um, I don't know, it, it's once a, once a service employee or performer forever, I think it's everybody that, that you have a positive or negative experience, it will definitely change who you are because of the na- nature of what we do. And is the, um, the PR field very competitive? Like I know for artists, you know, if artists always have to, trained to be better and better to better tricks, better acts to like, it's a very competitive field, but is it the same in PR as well? PR and marketing is competitive. Um, what's great though, there's many jobs on the market, you know, in those fields, but it's also jobs that who, you know, helps a lot getting the best jobs as well. Um, so it is competitive. I think also at Cirque, especially in the role that I'm in, um, it's very unique. So let's say when we do, when we interview, when we're looking for publicists, they, we, we're really looking for four rounded candidates. Um, cause you can be great at communicating with media, but here also you're coordinating, bringing an aerial act in studio for a TV show. Like there's, there's a lot of elements that, you know, we don't teach you in school how to manage acrobats that need to warm up to do a TV show, etc. So there's a lot of uniqueness. <laughs> so, you know, I'm an event planner, event coordinator, event strategist. Media, like there's a lot of hats you have to wear and yeah. you have to be flexible and be a quick learner, especially when you first arrive, because you have those 53 artists, that big production, that 
needs to be promoted and you need to use these elements and you need to understand quickly like what everybody needs in terms of information to make those events happen but also to feel safe uh to trust you as well because you'll work with them but it's kind of add on to the workload of everybody um so it's a uh, yeah it's quite unique so you need a certain type of personality so for me to be able to get it and kind of like i guess not realizing also because it happened so fast that i got this opportunity uh because I was naive, <laughs> it's what made me like good at it because I didn't realize, I didn't realize how, like how big or the challenges were or how big yeah, yeah. the brand that I was working with was. So I think my, cause I was naive. It made the whole process simpler, but also mm-hmm. kept me yeah, really, get me really down to earth as well to, to not be like, Oh yeah, I'm 20. I have a big job. Yeah. You know, I was yeah, really kind of like passionate and, and down to earth with it. Yeah. And how, how responsible are you if the show doesn't, doesn't sell? tickets in one city what's great is that in in the marketing field the marketing manager because they do they spend the budget more on on advertising by well usually it's like if we spend let's say i don't know if you spend a million then you will see a certain return on investment so they're more in charge of like if they're the ones that are more pointed the finger at if tickets don't sell me i'm there to add up and, and we're working as a team to make sure that we have the exposure but i'm usually i'm not the one that gets the most pointed ads, which, <laughs> which I'm lucky, but honestly, we work as a team. So it's, uh, there's many players that are key to be able to, to, to sell the amount of tickets we sell in the city. Yeah. And, um, you said you have also have to be able to deal with the artists. How did you feel the first time you started working directly with Soleil artists? I mean, it's amazing because, um, I think that it's one of my favorite part of the job. First of all, because the artists come from, depending on which show you work on, can go from 15 to 25 different nationalities. So the backgrounds are different. Some of them are gymnasts. So the way you talk with the gymnast or you, you collaborate with the gymnast is different of how you would work with someone that comes from an arts and theater background that have experience on stage or from someone that comes from generations of, of a circus family. Um, so I feel what I've realized by dealing with artists is that they're each unique and they, they're each allowed to be the person they are because it's what makes them a great artist. So my job is to be a chameleon and to, to, to understand what they need to be able to perform the best or what they need to be able to give the best interview or what they need to be willing to participate into PR as well. Um, and I love that because that's why I'm in PR, you know, and PR means public relations. The key word is relation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you need to be, um, emotionally smart to understand other personalities and to adapt yourself to them because they won't adapt to you. And I think that's, that's the reality of entertainment that you deal with celebrities or with stage performers, you know, we're we're giving them all the tools to be themselves and to be at their best. So you have Mm -hmm. to be the chameleon and adapt to these personalities to work well with them and not the, not the opposite. Let's say you have a request for an event to promote the show. Do you, so you say you're the one who, who's designing the event, I assume with the um, artistic director, but are you picking artists or are you designing the event because it corresponds to the way you think is going to promote the show the best for the market you are in? Or how does that, how is that process working? Well, there's different ways. Like I would say before we go on sale in a market, we'll look at the overall timeline of our on sale strategy and see Okay, there's media we want to work with. So let's say from a market like Los Angeles, and we're going to work with a TV show that does, you know, that is one of the biggest TV shows in, in America. Well, I'll work with the producers of that show to see what would you like to see? You've covered Cirque in the past. 
what is your crazy idea? What would you like to see? And I sit at the table with them and creatively we'll, we'll kind of build what that segment would look like. And then once it's set and kind of like the overall idea is done, then I will sit with the artistic team here so that they make, they help me make it happen. And they might also add ideas to it, but all the, I would say for every event or every PR opportunity that happens for the, at the beginning of that conversation, it comes from me and working with my local partners to make sure which events should we be part of. Is there a, let's say a fashion week that brings, I don't know, 25,000 people that are movers and shakers in that community. And we mm-hmm. should be performing there. And then understanding also what are the limitations because you no, know, sometimes with Cirque Sky is a bit the limit, but then that's, you know, we need a certain amount of space for certain acts, et cetera. So usually depending on the space, um, the type of event, the type of crowd, if the artists need to do an interview afterwards or not, et cetera, it helps me determine which act we're going to prioritize. For example, I'm working right now in Vancouver. We'll do a performance at the Canucks, which is the NHL mm-hmm. yeah. hockey team. So we'll do two acts between periods of, uh, of the game, but then, okay, uh-huh. what's possible to do on the ice, you know, because it's an ice. So they, yeah. they lay a carpet. How big is the carpet? But so you want a high energy act because it's a crowd that's there for a sports event. So now right now we're looking at taking the fire knife dancer. We looked, mm-hmm. we're able to do the fire knife act on the ice without touching the ice. So the ice doesn't melt. So there's a lot of <laughs> elements that go into selecting yeah. who, what act or what we push forward in terms of, of promotion. Yeah. Same when we select images, it's, it's all like, it all makes sense. There's all, there's always a, a background thinking of why we went to this element or why we're, we're looking at this event specifically instead of the other for example. And do artists get jealous? because they, they are not picked to do a certain events or do they get jealous between each other or do they do sometimes, do you get sometimes artists coming to you and be like, Hey, why you didn't pick me for that event? <laughs> um, I would say it depends because you know, PR is extra work. Meaning, meaning like they're, they're busy doing eight to 10 performances a week. So that's the reality of the schedule. So PR becomes a, you know, it, it's a fun add on activity, but you need to be willing to, to work and put the work for it. Um, but my goal and in my personal experience is that I always want PR events to be fun. I don't want it to feel like work for the artists, whether they give an interview, whether we do a, yeah. a trip, because sometimes we do a trip, I bring them in advance in a market. We go for two, three days, do like 20 interviews and they fly back. The schedule is intense, but if they're having fun and if we make it, and it's also because it's a new experience, it's different than the daily. Usually yeah, people want to be part of it. You know, like we've done some together. Yeah, yeah, it like, was amazing. But it's different and it's fun and it's, it's fun also to go talk about what we're doing yeah, because now we're so doing it all the time. But then to go tell the good news that this amazing show that we've put all our sweat in is coming to the market. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's very gratifying in some way. So yes, artists usually on my shows, they'll, they're happy to do PR and they want to be part of it. And sometimes some acts that are, let's say, less easy to take out, you know, like acts that require rigging, like yeah. your act, for example, there's less opportunities to bring them. Um, but I try to, to use everybody or to make everybody understand why the choices happen so that there's not too much jealousy. But for sure, some people might be sometimes wondering, oh, could do more promotion. Sometimes I'm like, uh, my job is not to make everybody happy, but it's too bad. It's too bad. No, you know, it's no, too bad yeah, to present sure. the yeah. show and to know that I've tried my best to represent the show. So we, so we sell tickets. Yeah. Did you ever have like crazy bloopers or like really bad experience, even that you planned that didn't go at all, like as planned? For sure. But it's always because, you know, when you do event planning and anybody that plans events will tell you, it's just like, 
when you can control every aspect, you know that things will happen. But as soon as you work with a supplier, with uh, a third party, well, there can always be things that even if you discuss about it, don't happen. Like I remember we, we were supposed, we, we had this partnership with the mall in a city I won't name. <laughs> we were supposed to do uh, a performance and they were supposed to like bring us a stage, lighting, sound equipment, etc. And everything has been discussed. We did site visits, etc. But the morning of, I, I show up and nothing's done. So we had to pull the plug the day of and that I felt awful, Yeah, honestly. And also all the artists showed up and it was like, nothing was ready for them. And it's like, but I, even <laughs> though I did all the, even though I did all the planning to make it work, there's a, there's a part of it that I can't control. Yeah. So it happens sometimes that we have to cancel events because a partner falls through um, sometimes because weather, like for example, in yeah. Houston, we were in Houston just now, we were supposed to do a Thanksgiving day parade. Oh. And we, when we put together an act that was bringing like 15 or 16 artists from the show, mixing different acts from Alegria. Um, but obviously our artists cannot perform on a wet surface. Yeah, for sure. Because they were doing banking, uh, yeah. which is group acrobatics where they're tossing artists in the air. Um, it's, it, it was pouring rain. And then, so we, I had to pull the plug, like the, I think the parade was starting at nine. I think at eight thirty, I had to say, okay, it's impossible. But then at eight forty-five, the whole parade got canceled. So I wasn't. So also, then still they couldn't do the parade yeah. because then there was thunderstorms. So, but that's the reality of of planning events. You know, it's just like you had the mercy of elements you can control. For sure. And how do you how do you manage when it's something that is recorded, like a TV event that's live, and then something unexpected happened and it's live on TV, and you're like, oh. I'm going to cover that up. How's that? How's that going? (laughs) Luckily, I never had too many, like personally, I didn't have much bad experiences with live TV. Like we did some shows where, for example, there was like mistakes from the artist, but it was kind of fake live. You know, a lot of the shows in the U S for example, with Totem, we had that when we did Jeleno, the show, it it looks live on TV, but it's pre-recorded a few hours earlier in the afternoon. So we had a moment where we recorded the unicycle with balls act on totem. And unfortunately the, the girls were having a hard time with one trick, mm-hmm. but then they never do this, but they let us re-record it. So we were able mm-hmm. to kind yeah. of save it and they did an editing for live. So it went well. It happens sometimes that artists make a mistake when we do a live performance, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, yeah, it's, and I mean, it's live performance and it happens. I'm, I think, I guess I'm not talking so much about mistakes, but something really... I don't know, like something like not inappropriate, but like a way that like the, the, the presenter would speak or like the, the artist would answer a question and say something he or she's not <laughs> supposed to say or like, you know, stuff like that. I've had a few, but nothing that was like, you know, crazy. But I remember like <laughs> on that time, I remember doing an interview with, with artists and uh, they were asked questions. It was not live, but it was pre but the, the answers was kind of like, What's your memory? Because, you know, artists are not used to do interviews. It's not, you know, it's not because you're good with your body that you're good with words. And my job is to support them and to coach them. But also there's a limit on how you can coach. Sometimes you learn by being on the field. So yeah. the artists were asked, uh, what's a memorable performance? Like, oh, when I lose my prop in the audience and it hits the head. I was like, no, no, no. Like memorable <laughs> performance is more like my mom was watching me or the first time I performed, but not when your, your prop hit someone in the audience, you know? Uh, and I remember like, it's just, my buddy went like the, the, the they were sitting on stage and their legs were like, kind of like, you know, they were, uh, 
kicking in the air a bit, like on the, yeah, kicking on the edge of the stage. So I just kicked their foot, <laughs> like, just to be like go the other way because <laughs> it was just a natural reaction. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, sometimes I make faces. I'm be, I'm often when artists do interviews or spokespeople. It's not just artists who do interviews, but I'm always behind the media, so I make faces. Sometimes I like mm, don't go that way, go the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not just to, to protect the brand. It's also for, for the performers themselves. Yeah, for sure. You know, because, because uh, I feel like, you know, people want authenticity and we don't, and you can, you can say again, like we don't, we don't control the messaging of what the artist says. It's not, mm-hmm. it's just like to make sure that when a question is asked that you answer the right thing or that you keep it in a positive yeah. way as well, yeah. you know? Because for example, some people, sometimes in the witty speaking life, it's more, not that negative, but they're a bit more, maybe complaining or seeing things, you know, mm-hmm. or they want to make sure that people understand that it's good, but it's hard, but it's like, mm, yeah. it's, it's to find the right balance so that the message comes across because every time you do an interview, often they will cut. Yeah. So you might speak for three minutes, but it keep 10 seconds. Yeah. So you have to make sure that your three minutes you're talking has a positive light to it because even if it's not negative, but they keep the part that's like, yeah, sometimes it's a little like this, but at least like most of the time, you know, mm, but then if they yeah. keep just that section, then you look negative or, or it doesn't bring a, a, a bright light to what we're saying. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, we're circus. We're basically yeah. like, we're saying the good news. It's, it's all positive and fluff what we're doing in terms of, of PR and, and we want to keep it that way. Our partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, You can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk Talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapis Rouge in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to Pro, and use the code Tapis Rouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program and after six weeks, I got back on stage, but I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back? The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, 
which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, what did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always pulling random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain that also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now, let's get back to the show. How do you manage? Because when you are with an artist at an interview, as you said, you can give looks and give oriented interviews. But how, how do you manage with social media and artists on social media who are in one way or another representing the brand and then maybe giving a, a message or like showing an image of the brand that is, might not be super appropriate? How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, we do a lot of coaching, I would say. And now we let, like, because, you know, social media, has kind of, especially in the 12 years I've been working with a company, we started where, like, I saw the birth of Instagram while I was a publicist. So the company has adapted a lot throughout the years on, on how we deal with social media. And we, but now with the of coaching we do to explain to artists that you are, the, you are a brand ambassador that you wanted or not. As soon as you write in your description on Instagram that you work for a company, whether it's Cirque or any company, you kind of announce publicly that you are a brand ambassador. Yeah of this company. So, so the content you're posting, especially when you're talking about work, you have to keep that in mind, mm -hmm. you know, that's your, it's like if this, the, the, the audience that looks at your content doesn't see the difference between Guillaume Koshua, the person and Guillaume Koshua, the artist that serves. Well. Yeah. So I monitor, uh, I monitor everything that's being posted. And usually like, if I see, if I see something, I'm kind of like, it's a bit of brand, like, you know, <laughs> so I'll, I'll go, I'll go talk with them, but obviously, and I think like we're coaching them a lot. Now we even have a team that reaches out to them, gives them classes on TikTok once a month or on big trends as well. Um, so I think everybody kind of understands what comes with it. And if also you don't, you don't want to be an ambassador of Cirque on your social media, that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to, but then just be mindful of the way you present yourself. So, so that people don't associate you as the face of the company. Because you are, because the, that's the thing is that our product at Cirque is it's the artist. Yeah. So the, the, the artists are the, the face of the company. Um, and people, and it's great that people want to follow them because they do amazing things, you know, and, and the content usually is creative, is acrobatic, is out of the ordinary. It's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And we want people to follow that. And we want pe some people, maybe they might discover Cirque through, you know, the algorithm and finding one of our yeah. artists doing backflips next to a beautiful location in in the Pacific Northwest, like we're yeah, in now. For sure. And also we want people, you know, before there was this, especially like, let's say even before that, there was this 
oh, we need to keep the mystery and everything. But then we realize, no, what we do backstage is actually a great way to push ourselves forward and to get the, the company even more known. Um, so we're, we're given kind of full access and we want the artists to bring their audience as well, you know, in their life backstage to see how extraordinary their coworkers are, et cetera. Um, so I don't remember what your question was, but <laughs> no, it was like managing the social media, but I think it's true. It's interesting because I remember when I first started with, on totem, it was very strict that you, you were not allowed to post anything backstage, anything in the dressing room, any, like it was a strict no. And you went from there to now the company is giving classes on how to post and what kind of posting. And so it really went completely the opposite. But also because there's a, there's a, there's a, there was an IP question because even the makeup at Cirque that the artists put on is it, it has rights. Yeah, for sure. You know, so, so it was, I think we needed to go through that understanding of what are the limits of the rights? How do we feel comfortable about other people manipulating the brand elements, mm -hmm. you know, and also how do we phrase it in a way that people understand as well, that they cannot advertise other products because artists often, you know, they have a friend that have, I don't know, a company that does water bottles. So then you take a photo of the water bottle with yeah, them in the surf yeah. costume, but that there's companies that spend millions of dollars to have their brand associated with Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. So there was also all that also to understand how do we communicate with artists? How do we make them understand? But also everybody was figuring out what social media was, you know? Yeah, I and see. I think, and I think as a company, we are evolving. Also, we are, we are working on so many different territories, like social media in Japan is different than what it is in the U S or, you know, so trying to understand it, it took some time, but I think we have, not, we have had a nice evolution through time. And, and now I think to use our artists as ambassadors is the, it's where we should be. Totally. And do you think it's, there is um, a limit in that direction too? Do you think there is a point where it's damaging the brand to show maybe too much? Because I, I remember the, the sister of Liz, my wife, when she, she told me that the first time she came backstage in Varikai, when Liz was working on Varikai, she saw one of the artists in costume and makeup smoking a cigarette just outside of the tent. And she said that at her age, she was like 12, something like that. She really felt like, oh, like it destroyed kind of the the maze because you see Cirque on stage the way it's set up, they look like superheroes and that to see a superheroes smoking a cigarette, kind of like that. She, she felt a bit like, Oh, that's, I wish I didn't see, I wish I didn't see that. I kind of like killed a bit of the magic. Right. <laughs> First of all, like, let's say if we do videos or we give access to backstage, I won't film someone smoking in costume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think, I don't think we destroy the magic. I think also the way it is, is that if you want to learn more, if you are wondering how is it backstage, like now that the material is out there for you to see it, if you, you know, mm -hmm. but, and if you don't want to go there and you just want to keep it as the experience you have under the big tub, then that's fine too. You know, I, like, I don't feel like we're, we're pushing too much in the face mm -hmm. of people okay, yeah. or what the reality is backstage. Also, you know, nobody gets a chance to come backstage as well. So it's not like by showing the behind the scenes, I don't think we're killing too much of the experience of when people can actually see the show because they pay a ticket to what the show they don't pay a ticket to come backstage and spend a day with us. Yeah, you know? it's true. Or spend a day in the life of artists. So I think it's just adding a layer and it, it gives us stories, you know, because everything in marketing now, social media, et cetera, it's all about storytelling. And what's great at Cirque is that we have 
so many stories we can tell. Yeah, it's true. You know, I used to say when I was thinking more as a traditional media, I used to say we can be in every section of a newspaper because we have, we're a corporation, so we can be in the business section. All our artists come from a sports background. We can be in the sports section, we can be in the arts and entertainment, in the lifestyle because of the traveling and the experiencing of every city. So we had really like stories to be in all those, uh, you know, those those different uh, sections mm-hmm. of media. And now I think with social media, it gives us such an array of stories we can tell. I think we're lucky because as a, as a company, we have so many stories to tell and, and now we can strategize when we tell those stories and, and with who we want to tell the stor- those stories or who we want locally to share those stories that we think will be appealing for people to, to want to come to the show. Mm-hmm. But it's really funny because the way you explain your job, it really looks like you are in the middle, like you are in between the company and the artists, you are doing artistic direction, but you are doing production as well. You are really, you, your role is really in between. And would you consider yourself more on in the artistic team or production or more part of cast? And, and oh, crew? it's interesting. Um, it's a good question. I think what's interesting uh, uh, of the role is that there's never a date as the same. And I think because of that comes a lot of creativity. And like, for example, just before this guy was posting photos on Facebook page and on the Facebook page and having fun with the copy, trying to find something funny to say, or, you know, to, to express a photo. So there's a lot of creativity mm-hmm. within my field. You know, I wouldn't say like, uh, uh, I'm not yeah. an artistic director for, for entertainment at all. I'm just, I'm creative within the field of promotion. And I think that's what I like, but I think, yeah, I don't know where I sit. <laughs> I think, like I said, I have no department. I don't know where I sit. Like I'm, I'm part of the casting crew, but I'm so part of kind of the, the, the corporate structure you could say. So I'm really, mm-hmm. I'm really kind of swimming between all of those and making sure that, that, that we, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. we, we can really push the brand and, and have, and really seize all the opportunities we can. I think it's it's really cool because the way just what you say you say I, I think about pushing the brand pushing the company so when you speak like that you speak really on a on a, in a corporate side but I mean I have worked with you super closely and you are so yeah. close to the artist like you are so attentive to the the artist's needs and you have a very deep understanding also of like what what are the stakes that warming up like the stress like all these things you're not just when you are with the artist when you are with us you're really it really feels like you're part of of yeah. a part of this i think it's my like strength it, is that so. i'm i'm really in connection with the 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 pro, i said the product i know it sounds corporate but i'm really in in touch with with what we do you know so that's why i'm a, I'm, a, I'm able also to speak the same language when i go talk with technical team i can use the same language that they use so we, so we get to understand each other. When I work with artists, I understand what you guys need. And I need to know that to be able to plan the right event or, you know, like it's, it's really important. It's without having that trust and without having that knowledge, I cannot do the work that I'm doing. I mean, I can, but then you won't have the respect of the team and, and I need the respect of everybody to be able to do it. So it's kind of like a circle. Like I cannot see myself not understanding this, but also I love to be with artists, I guess somehow. And you know, my wife is one, I guess somehow, like it fits with my interest, my personality, yeah. you know, when we did like, I remember in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I went to see the, you know, the counselor that like helps you like determine what are you going to do and stuff. And she was yeah, like, Oh, you yeah. have the impossible profile because I'm 100% at the time. I think it might have changed now, but 
I'm hundred percent like entrepreneur or business, 100% artistic and all the rest is zero, like helping the world zero. <laughs> like me, I'm really like, so she was like, it's going to be hard for you to find a job where you're fulfilled, you know? And the, the jobs that they were in the little notebook that they were suggesting was like, uh, someone that tunes pianos and a chef. And I was like, oof, I'm really, <laughs> I'm really bad at cooking and really bad with my hands. So I don't think yeah. it's a, it's the right job, but I think somehow without knowing it, public relations was kind of the, a good way to kind of appeal to these two sides of my personality. And I think this job even more because like, you know, I even like rewrite show descriptions. I are direct photo shoot. I select the photos that we'll use to promote the show, et cetera. So I'm really, there's a creative side, like I said, but within my, my box, my field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, do you want to talk a bit about uh, really the Cirque brand because i'm sure i mean you are the best person to talk about really what is the Cirque du Soleil brand sure so you want me to say what is what it is yeah like just i mean because also i think it would be cool to see how did the brand evolve because the company is 36 years in peanuts and i'm sure Cirque du Soleil <laughs> now the brand is is not what it was 10 years, 20 years, and then 36 years back. And you started 12 years ago. And I'm sure where the company was then and what the brand, the Cirque brand was then is different from what it is now. But is it though? And that's where, that's, a, that's how I feel on a daily basis. Yeah. I, th- I think, let's, like, let's say if we look at the history of the company, the brand exploded at the beginning of the 2000s when um, when the shows were actually filmed and they were, they were broadcasted on, on TV, I think it helped bringing, and you know, they, there was even the documentary fire within that won an Emmy yeah, award. Yeah. Um, at that time we used the medium of TV to get the brand known. So, you know, that's why, for example, we have such a fan base in South America and many of mm, these people yeah. never had the chance to actually watch a show because we don't necessarily travel close to the yeah. cities where they live yeah. in, but they know Cirque because of those of those TV specials or DVDs or VHS back then. Um, uh, And I think that's when the Cirque brand exploded worldwide. And I think what's interesting is that in every city we go to, when I say Cirque du Soleil, it's very rare that someone will be say, what, what is it? You know, Mm -hmm. like the, the brand itself is really known worldwide. And I think even though we are a corporation in the minds of people who are show were in high quality circus entertainment, but they have mm-hmm. the excitement towards our brand. Like if we were, they, I don't think they see us like a corporate structure, you yeah. know, like, but the, the thing is, is that we are a global brand. We are probably one of the, and, and we are one of the biggest entertainment producers of live entertainment mm-hmm. in the world. But the way we approach the brand, it's really still, I think the same way as it was for, for me, actually 12 years ago, which is, you know, it's a human product. It's a high quality product, but it's entertainment. We're making you come live the extraordinary. As soon as you step into our shows, you forget about your reality and you're taken away to a mystical world with us, you know? So, and I think this hasn't changed. I think the core of the way we present our brand, the way we talk about it, especially on my side, because I work for the classic shows and I'm on the big top shows. Mm -hmm. So the way I I bring the brand, it hasn't changed. Um, and I see in the eyes of people, the way they see the brand as well is very similar. Um, for them, it's a show, 
And, yeah. and I would say most of my work is not to get Circus to be known, but to differentiate this show compared to the others they might have seen two years ago. Um, When you see the big top from outside, it's there is that kind of like magic like that comes with it. But when you're talking about the, the ice skating shows, for example, which is a very different type of of show, there is no big top. It's 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 a different no, but but the core but the core is the same because it's still a circus experience, you know. So yes, you're not in the big top, you're in an arena. But the, the way we market them, it's a core, it's still a course of experience because you know, there's the Sturgisai Entertainment Group, which has different companies, mm-hmm. part yeah. of it. But me, I work on the Sturgisai side. So I, you, me, my brand is, the brand I work for is the Sturgisai brand, which is the mm-hmm. core. So it's the same. It's just like if you experience it in an arena, we're bringing you the same, the same experience you come to expect from Sturgisai. It's just it's in a different setting and it also allows us to go close to you. Because we don't travel, usually the arena markets, we don't travel with the big top to those cities. Mm, so, yeah. so probably the only way you can experience or say in your backyard is with the arena shows. Um, mm, okay. and, and that's why also we developed the arena division was to go to these cities where we cannot necessarily come with the big top for six weeks or eight weeks, but we can definitely mm-hmm. play for one week in the arena. So, but I think for people, when they think so say, they really think our classic, which is acrobatics set in in the language of theater. So with amazing set design, yeah. lavish costumes, a world that we want to understand, but takes us away from our reality. And mm-hmm. that's what the core Sturgisai products are. If you look at the other companies, part of the entertainment group, well, they each have their own kind of brand DNA, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But for me, I think the DNA of Sturgisai has remained the same throughout the years. Do you think there is anything that was... Cirque before, but that's no longer Cirque. What do you mean? Like a, a, an element of the brand, like something like, oh, Cirque du Soleil was... No, but it's for sure... No, but for sure there's like there's a novelty that's less there. No, Cirque du Soleil is not new. Cirque du Soleil is, like you said, 36 years old now, mm-hmm. you know? So for sure there's a novelty element that was there in the 90s that's not there anymore. But the idea is how do we convince an audience that maybe has already seen one show already understands what Sergusa is to come back mm-hmm. and to see us from a, a different point of view. And I think like the, the way that, because I've lived creations and the way we always start back with the blank page for sure, there's a style that comes with Sergusa because that's what people come to expect. Yeah, and I think sure. when, when you branch out of a Cirque, you cannot branch out too much out of it because people are buying a ticket to see Sergusa. So we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of, you know, it, it's a bit like if you go see Madonna and she doesn't sing or, Like a virgin, like, or, like a yeah, or any of of her hits, you're gonna be disappointed. Yeah. So, so for sure, the Cirque du Soleil brand is synonym with high quality entertainment, synonym with acrobatics, synonym with human performance, synonym with a wow effect. So we need to, you know, there's those elements that when you create the show for Cirque, you have to make sure that they're part of it. But I think the way we work, which working with different creators, working, uh, bringing together creative teams that are not always the same working on each show, we're able to kind of always bring a new side, a new twist mm-hmm. uh, to the Cirque brand. And that's how people are discovering the brand. Or, I mean, discovering our shows and wanting to come back because they know, first they know that they're going to get an amazing experience, but then also that is different each time around as well. But for sure, it's creations. Sometimes there's hits, sometimes mm-hmm. there's shows that maybe some people like less and, you know, like it's, It's creativity. It's it's an organic process, and and it's not like a we're not doing mass production, mm-hmm. and that's the reality. But I think also it's uh, um 
thinking, let's say, about um, Zumanity, for example. Like wh when Zumanity came out, was it Cirque to do something like that? Like to do a show about sex, like a very sexy in like a smaller theater, smaller setup. I think for sure the show still had like what you're saying, the wow, the costumes, all these things. But it felt that at that time when the show came out, it was really like something not expected at all from Cirque. But but yet I think it was very Cirque to do that, to, to bring something that is, oh, you didn't think we could do something like that. But here it is. And, and it's, it's really great, you know? Yeah, no, and totally. And I think, for example, with Crystal, which is the first ice show, people were thinking, okay, you're going to play, let's say, in, in Disney on Ice backyard. But actually, the, it was a great blending of circus acts and ice skating and to appeal to a family audience that probably the kids are doing figure skating and they will want to come see the show. And I think that's the same. I think Zumanity was extremely Vegas. And look now, it kind of created... You know, when you see other companies that are in that risque, sexy circus yeah. entertainment, Zumanity was one, the one to to start that. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. One of same, you know, Love, for example, with the Beatles, the show was kind of a new way to, yeah. to, do, to do tributes and it was a huge success. And mm -hmm. now we see Broadway shows that are now paying tribute to artists, etc. cetera. Mm -hmm. um, what is the next one for Cirque at this moment? I'm not in the secrets of <laughs> the company, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what it is, but I... I think because creativity is still at the heart of the company and, and the idea is to always try the ways to push forward what we can do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and there's partnerships that will happen that sometimes will bring us in a different direction, you know, and, and also now that they, that the company has brought those other brands as well, they can explore different aspects or go forward further with some of these brands as well. So I think, I think you'll see a lot of, uh, interesting shows coming out of the of Cirque in the next few years. Nowadays, you see that there is a lot of, not I would not say pressure, but there is a movement in entertainment in, in general with, you know, being politically correct, being very careful with cultural appropriation and all these things, with comedy, you know, there is things you, that are, that could be perceived more offensive now. And how do you think Cirque is, is reacting for sure. And I think it's, it's also, you know, like you, you've been at, with the company as well. We keep you, the shows keep evolving through time, you know, because let's say a show that opens in 2010, will have a lifespan of 10, 15 years. And I think that's why there's an artistic team working on the show and challenging it, you know, on a daily basis, but also mm -hmm. see it's something that was, that would be funny in 2010 is, is less today. How can we modify the show to make that happen? I'm, I'm taking an example right now in the process of coming back from COVID, all the clown acts, for example, on Kuza have been revised because Kuza was first opened in 2007 and so the, the clown acts were raunchy. There was, you know, and they just, and it was a style of humor. It's very slapstick, but they've kind of re they've really updated uh, the, the, the clowning in this, uh, 2021, 2022 version of the show to reflect more what the audience expects uh, today. And I think it's, it's a great idea. They work with the creator, but just even, even as a creator, if you create something in 2007, you evolve as a creator and you follow trends as well. Um, and I think th that's a great work. Same with Alegria, for example, we opened the show in 2019, but we decided to take advantage of this, uh, this unique situation that we're living now um, to, to re-challenge the show and to relook at it and say, Hey, we, we want to have a, a finale that's more impactful. 
um, you know, that, that finishes the show even more on a high note. So we decided to completely change the finale and to bring an amazing act that we now have, which is the flying trapeze that really, really like, you know, it lifts up the roof. The audience is almost giving a standing ovation at the end of the act every night. It really added uh, an emotional aspect to, to the show. And I think that's Cirque is that we, yeah, we, we don't just sit on what we have. We always, we, we have a passion for what we do and we get to, you know, to adapt the shows, but also even in creation, you know, like the show that will be created, let's say if there's a show created this year, but it will have the spirit of what's going around. And I think that's, that's normal in creation as well. You know, creators usually re reflect their own experiences when they do a certain type of work, et cetera, or where they're at in their life. So I think our shows kind of represent the times that they were created in. For example, yeah. that's why also we restaged Alegria. Alegria was first started in 1994. It, it was an amazing show, an amazing performance, but it still was created in 1994. In 2019, instead of just copying and paste the show, we decided to look at it from completely with the eyes of Cirque du Soleil today to make sure that what we deliver as an experience reflects the times of today, but also the expectations that people have of Cirque in 20, 2019, 2020, you know? I think it would have been super easy to just do a copy and paste of the 1994 production, but then we decided to take a creative challenge. So I think as long as there's challenges and that the core is creativity, you know, it's not marketing at Cirque that decides what the shows are going to be. It still starts from the creators, the creators yeah. themselves. And I think, I think as long as that's what they do, I think it will keep the originality and, and keep audiences coming. As the senior publicist you work very closely with um celebrities inviting them to the show and as you said creating the buzz around the show how's that how is that aspect of your job it's great i mean for sure like you know celebrities are now with influencers um it, it's great to add buzz you know especially because those people are like your ultimate best friend so when if let's say you're a fan of i don't know penelope cruz and everything she does and you see that she came to the show well for sure it might spark an interest so for me it's to Whenever we do, whether it's with celebrities or local partners, it's to go reach an audience that's different than ours, mm, you know, to okay. give them, to, to give them a taste of what Cirque du Soleil is. And that's the strategy also with, with celebrities is that their audience gets, gets a taste or, or hear Cirque du Soleil for the first time or, or be interested because this person came, you know, um, the thing is that after COVID and with social media, et cetera, celebrities is a different market. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people are actually getting paid to come to see a show, which before, you know, red carpets were a thing. Celebrities wanted to be seen. So you, mm -hmm. let's say you would open in a city and you would do a red carpet premiere, would invite all the celebrities and they come, would come walk it because it was a way to be seen. Yes. But now social media exists, so they don't need to have that intermediate of media oh. to be seen. Um, so now a lot of them are asking money to, to make an attendance on a red carpet, et cetera. So it's changing the way also I'm approaching premieres or I'm, uh, I'm seeing it because, uh, because you have to find also the balance where we're bringing them, let's say if they're coming to do a story about Cirque or about the show, we're bringing that content as well to their platform. Mm -hmm. So how yeah. do we find a balance um, working with them? So I think like there's a lot of challenges post COVID because the world has changed, especially in yeah. North America. So to understand for me, how to get the most buzz, who are the influencers locally or nationally that I need to work with, which celebrities would be a good ad or a good fit. Um, there's also always celebrities I want to come to see decide because we are, you know, we're, we're, we're attracting uh, people, you know, people mm -hmm. want to come see our show. So let's say if you're in markets where there's a lot of celebrities either there for filming or living there, we always get requests without even us sending a request for it because there's that, 
celebrity aspect to Cirque du Soleil yeah, as for well. Sure. Yeah. And would you prefer to invite an influencer who has 10 million followers or a really, really incredible actor, like a movie star who has maybe less followers on social media, but whose craft is recognized and admired. I would invite both. <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer. Yeah, I'm taking all opportunities. I told you. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, but uh, it's just also in my thinking because of my job, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to get the buzz out in this city. When I work with influencers, I always look also, I like to work with micro influencers as well because their audience is here. Yeah. And because in my job, you know, at Cirque, we have different marketing departments. Me, I'm not working on national recognition. I'm working on local recognition. Yeah. So, so who in this market should I partner with to get the most out? For example, here we had this makeup artist. She has a great following here, very local. When you look at her stats, she came and did a story about the makeup, learn about it. She was so excited. All her fans are very engaged with her content as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at the engagement, so many comments, etc. So I'm getting more probably from this than having a celebrity that's more international, but maybe that doesn't have like as much ties in with the market where we're in. Mm -hmm. I see. Yeah, you're really targeting people who can bring people to see the show. That's it. Listen, I have one last question for you. Yeah. And it is, if tomorrow aliens would land on earth, how would you explain them what is Cirque du Soleil? <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Hey, it's a good one because do they have bodies? <laughs> like, how far are we starting from? <laughs> I would need to do a bit of research on them to understand. Like, do you understand what a body is, or like, you know? <laughs> because what I do always is to understand to who I'm talking with. So I would have to do a bit of research prior to give you an answer. <laughs> So you observe them, understand them, and once yeah. you understand, you'll come to them. You're like, okay. Because I mean, if they're bendy and everything, I mean, what's the interest for them to come see people pushing forward the limits of them? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm going to have to understand who they are. <laughs> yeah, but man, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. I know, my pleasure. So see, I hope it was interesting because it's more, it's more business side that I hope, I hope uh, the listeners will like it. Pretty interesting, right? Now, next time you'll see an advertisement for Cirque, you'll think, hmm, I wonder what do they want me to think? Also, I find it interesting to get a wider understanding of how the Cirque du Soleil machine works, you know? Because, yeah, the artists on stage are the beating heart of the company, but there's so many other departments at work without whom the magic of Cirque wouldn't happen. So, for all the people working behind the spotlights, Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can now take a little moment to give us a good rating and review. It really makes a difference for Tapis Rouge. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com, or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Now guys, that's it for today. Let's catch up next week. Have a good day, a good show, and as we say in the circus, see you down the road. <laughs>